0: Welcome to the podcast from In Church Phoenix. This message is face to face with Pastor Dan Broder, August thirteenth, two thousand seventeen. This morning, I'm going to be preaching a message uh, entitled "Face to Face," and um, this this is this display here is it's uh, for visual and for practical pur- practical purposes. But um, I want to start off by reading John one one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being. The light that that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, that it would be your word that is shared this morning, your truth, Father God, not our version of it. That, God, you would anoint and use your messenger, Father God, that all the words that are spoken, Father God, would come straight from you, that it would pierce our ears and our hearts, Lord Jesus, and anything that's not of you, Father God, let it fall flat on the floor, Lord Jesus, that we are changed by your word and your word alone, Father. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, in Genesis 1, God said, sometimes we fail to really grasp the power of God's word. Uh, I think even in, even in an abstract way, I think even then we failed to grasp the power of God's Word. God's Word, in Genesis 1's account, He spoke, and there was light. Let there be light, and there was. In everything that He said, and there was. When you think about that, when God spoke, there's always followed by an and there was. The Bible says, in fact, that the Word of God never fails to accomplish that which it is sent out to accomplish. There is nothing in this world Nothing in this world that can state it has that type of proficiency rate. Nothing. Nothing is 100% effective except God. And His Word says, He said it and there it was. When you go through the Bible, you'll find story after story from Abraham to Mary to Satan, who when tempting Jesus literally said, just say the Word. Turn this stone into bread. Just say the Word. The centurion comes to Him and says, you don't need to come to save my child, just say the word, and it's done. And Jesus looks at him and says, "Such great faith." What was his faith? Recognizing the power of Jesus's words. God's word. God's word is not our words, right? We must meditate on that idea at least briefly to try and cram it into our brain. Okay, wait a minute. What is God's word? It's not an idea. It's not an opinion. It's not a theology. It's it's not science. Right? All of those things exist within what God created. God's Word is far beyond that. God's Word is the only things, the only thing the Bible teaches us that makes it out of here intact. We lose these bodies, our souls, our souls, our spirits go to heaven. Right? We're eternal beings, but our bodies don't make it out of here intact. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one period of God's Word not one, not even a period. God will not be removing even a comma. God's word literally makes it out of this entire, See, the only thing that makes it out of here entirely intact. God's word possesses all of the mysteries and revelations there are. God's word separates light from darkness, bone from marrow. It is all truth. The Bible isn't an instruction manual, right? I There's that old song, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? There are all these wonderful little anecdotal ideas about the Word of God, and sometimes I think they do us a disservice. They're they're while they're well intentioned, there are some misconceptions that end up hurting us and our thinking. Because when you think about the Bible, you can't think about the Bible as an instruction manual, right? Unless that instruction manual, because an instruction manual tells you how it's made. An instruction manual tell you tells you how it works. An instruction manual didn't make it right it didn't make the instruction you don't pick up that instruction manual and go this instruction manual created put to this is the this actual manual put together the very thing it's describing right that's when you look at the word of god the bible teaches us it's the word of god that created all things i mean think about that for a second if you could go if you went to the creator of that thing and he was if you bought something and the creator came with it right I bought, you buy some, I'm an intellectually or not I'm technolo- technologically idiot, okay? Like that's just the way, we just got rid of our flip phones like last year. So I, I'm just not into, I don't have a Snapchat, I'm not on Twitter, right? Most of the time I mispronounce it. Did you tweet? Did you, whatever it's called. I'm, I'm just not, that's not me, right? If I'm going to sit down, and worse than that, I think worse than that is not only am I not technologically inclined, I hate directions. So it's like this terrible combination of everything. I'm probably the only person in the room that should, in every situation, read the directions. And I'm probably the most faithful one in this room to never reading the directions. It's like, oh, wait. And nowadays, you've got those new things that when you screw something in, it doesn't come out. It's like, oh, awesome. I totally made this wrong. And there are about five different pieces of furniture in my house that are built incorrectly that still sit to this day. Just they're just there. We have this beautiful TV stand in our bedroom where the drawer is on the ground. Because I didn't get the sides in. It's like ten years old. Just sits on the ground. I don't even know what's in the drawer because it's such a pain to pull it out. But it's full of stuff. You know. You know? Um, but like that's that's the way that I'm, I need the instruction. But the Bible isn't an instruction manual. It's it's not it's not that. It's the word of God. In the beginning, God spoke that's the word. It has this creative power it's alive right when we look at it we must recognize it when the word is a text filled with vast when we look at it as a text right when the word is a text filled with vast amounts of knowledge and wisdom rather than the omnipotent omniscient eternal truth God's Word alive unstoppable and uncontainable I'll say that again because this really is the crux of what I want to talk about this morning When the Word of God, in our opinion, is a text filled with vast amounts of knowledge and wisdom rather than the omnipotent, omniscient, eternal truth, God's Word is alive. It's unstoppable and uncontainable. Right? We really have, this is really hard because we look at it, it's a book. It's tangible. You can hold it. You can open it. You can read it one page at a time. It's hard for our minds to grasp that God's word is anything more than a text filled with vast amounts of knowledge and wisdom rather than omnipotent, omniscient, eternal truth. God's word is alive. It is unstoppable and it is uncontainable. It creates a religious approach and inevitably a religious spirit. What I mean by that is this: when we consistently treat it like a text, when we and sometimes we treat it like a potion, like a, a potion book, right? I mean, sometimes it's like. This is God's word. What? It, sometimes our attitude towards it is it, it's a like we go to it, and it's got these things that we just hocus pocus. We read it, and boom, these things just just happen. We don't come to it like it's alive. We come to it like it's a spell book, right? I know that's harsh. And Some of you, I would never approach it that way. I think at times, sometimes we do feel, some. we should have at times, if you're an active believer, a Christian who believes in the power of prayer, who believes that God's hand inserts itself into time and space and alters the very realm in which we live in, then there has to be times in which you go, oh man, I think sometimes I have. I've turned to a verse. I've turned to a passage. I've, I've Google searched a word so that I could go to that verse and use it on my behalf. It's very similar to a spell book. And that's, that's not what the word of God is. And it's not just a text. So when we treat it like it's a text, filled with vast amounts of wisdom and knowledge, sometimes over a period of time, it creates a bit of a religious spirit in us, right? It goes into, because that's where traditions come from. That's where we go, this is why we do this, and this is why we do this. There's no real personal touch or influence within our relationship with God. But here's the truth, according to God's word. Matthew chapter 17 Matthew chapter 17, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the, the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? And if you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell fell face down on the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them, touched them and said, get up, do not be afraid. Lifting their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus. Except Jesus. Now, here we have this really important story. Because one, I think it depicts what we do in our human nature. In our human nature, we want to build tabernacles. In our human nature, we want to contain what God is doing. We go to camp, and God does something radical, and we think to ourselves, how can we bring what God did at camp home? If we could package it, if we could bottle it, if somehow we could put it into a form where then when we got back, we could just pass it out to everybody, then everybody would experience what we experienced at camp. What the disciples do is the exact same thing. They see Elijah, they see Moses, and they go, whoa! And those guys represent the law. They represent the functionality of that law, the desire to earn ourselves salvation. That's what the law represents. We, in our selfishness, broke our relationship with God. And God said, we, well, we said to God, we can fix it. God said, here's how you fix it. Gave us an instruction manual. It's called the law. And we discover that through the law, it's impossible for us to be saved. We cannot live the life we need to live and do the things we need to do in order to earn salvation. Jesus comes to fulfill that law. The requirements that are made of us as human beings to earn the right to walk in the midst of the garden again, Jesus came and made it a way for us to walk in the midst of the garden again. That's what Jesus did. He met those requirements. In this moment, you have the summary of one of the most powerful passages in the gospel. Here Jesus, in visual display, is saying the law is done away. Moses, Esau, Elijah, no more. There's only one Jesus. All of the promises, all of the power, all, everything we're searching for, everything we could write on this box can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Not in religion, but in the person of Jesus Christ. He became the all and all. That's who Jesus was. When he died, when he became sin and stole the power of sin and death, right? When he suffered the death that was meant for us, when he went to hell, that was, that, that he went to hell where we go. And took the keys, took the power of sin and death away from Satan. He came back. And the Bible teaches us that because of that, he becomes the all in all. Jesus now becomes everything we're looking for. All the hope you're searching for can be found in Jesus. All the answers you're searching for can be found in Jesus. Right? He becomes these things. And in this story, what does he say? He say, look, what's our natural reaction is what? Build a tabernacle. Build a tabernacle. That way, when you need favor, you know where to go. Right? That way, when you need faith, when you need deliverance, that way, when you need healing, grace, when you need guidance, you know where to See, what he's on the mountain, what they were saying is, is, let's capture this moment so that when we're weary, when we're worried, when the, f- the memory of this is fading from our, our, our minds, we know exactly where to go, right? Right? And whether they realize it or not, they're trying to put Jesus on a leash, right? Stay right here, Jesus, so I know where to find you, right? So Jesus is going, let's build this, right? And then God says, whoa, whoa, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Boom, everything's gone. The disciples open their eyes, and the only one standing there is Jesus, right? And the word of God quite specifically says, no one except Jesus, I love this because it's bad English, Jesus himself alone. Right, doubling, double down. No, they saw no one except Jesus Himself alone. In case you don't get the picture, disciples, it's just Jesus, right? In case you don't get the picture, what do you need? Just Jesus, right? So instead of everything, what? No, we want a tabernacle. No, I've done away with the traditions of men. I'm doing away with religion. Uh, all you need moving forward is just Jesus, right? To reiterate this, we find in Luke 24 a similar story. Now, to I'll abbreviate it for the sake of time. Here, this is the story of the road to Emmaus. The story of the road to Emmaus, is, this is just after Jesus has died, just 3 days later. And these disciples the Bible said are walking on the road to Emmaus. They're walking together. And they had just found out that Jesus' body is gone. Okay? They just found out Jesus' body is gone, and they're walking on the road. And the Bible says that Jesus all of a sudden comes up alongside them, and they're walking together. And for some reason, these disciples don't see who Jesus is. They can't tell that it's Jesus. And as the story goes, he asks them, what's wrong? And he says, they say, basically, who the heck are you? Have you been sleeping under a rock? Right? In reality, he had. So, so don't you know what's happened? There's the man Jesus. He was crucified. He was supposed to be. Now they're coming, and they're saying his body's gone. Right? And they go through this whole thing. And Jesus, certain women in our company arrived at the tomb earlier and astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those were with us, went to the tomb and found, just as the women had said, but they did not see. But him they did not see. And then he said to them, Oh foolish ones, oh and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken, had not the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. And then here's the verse. Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all of the scriptures con- concerning himself. All of the scriptures concerned. He went through everything in the Old Testament. Went through the law from Moses all the way. Did he tell them about all the other incidental things in the law? Did he talk about the kings? Did he talk about David? Did he talk? No, no, no. It says the only things he talked to them about was everything in the law that concerned him. Why? Because the only thing that mattered from that moment on was Jesus. That's it. Everything we're hoping for, everything we're searching for, can be found in Jesus. Not in religion. Not even though it is our nature. Okay? It's our nature to be in control. It is our nature. Right? And I think America, I think our culture... it it kind of, it blows it out. I mean, it's like on steroids because not only is it our nature to to then want to be in control of it, in our culture, we want to share it. In some cases, make money. So we want to package everything, right? People tell me all the time, you should write a book on how to build a youth center, right? And I tell people all the time the same exact thing. If I wrote a book on how to to reach kids, unchurched kids in the city, it would be one page and one paragraph. And that would be very simply this. Be where God wants you to be When he wants you to be there, doing what he wants you to do when you're there. That's it. Everything else would be what God told me to do, and it may not be what he tells them to do, right? That's completely different, right? And I'm going to explain why it's different in just a second. Colossians chapter 2. This is a long one too. Okay, Colossians chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up. He he is saying this is an in-depth explanation as to who Jesus is. The entire fulfillment of God is found in Christ. He is fully God made man all of the deity this says is in Jesus all of the deity dwells in bodily form and in him you have been made complete Right in him. We're not made complete through a text. We're made complete through Christ Right we're made complete through Christ in which you were also raised up. He says what is this about circumcision in the law We were circumcised our flesh had to suffer to be purified in God's eyes In this, it's the circumcision of the heart. Jesus circumcised the heart, not in physical pain, but in faith, in confession of Jesus Christ. Our heart becomes circumcised in the sense that it's purified to him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, he made you alive again together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He's talking about sin. Canceled out the decrees against us. We were all condemned to death. Jesus cancels out that decree. Life is offered. Eternal life. Eternal life. Having canceled out the certificate of consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. First Timothy 6. Who is Jesus? He is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and glory. Now, this is about God. But the verse before said, Jesus is the fullness of deity. Right? Jesus is the fullness of deity. God, after he spoke long ago, this is Hebrews 1, to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, These last days has spoken to us in his son. You hear that? He's spoken to us in his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become a much better having become much better than the angels he has inherited a more excellent name than Jesus than they Jesus's name the word and Jesus are synonymous the word and Jesus are synonymous right when you talk or when you do an exhaustive study on Jesus you're doing an exhaustive study on the word when you are doing an exhaustive study on the word you're doing an exhaustive study on Jesus they are the same according to the Word of God. The Word is a part of the Trinity. Think about this. The Word of God is a part of the Trinity in the person of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is... A, it's, not, it's not Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Bible. It is Father, Son, which is the Word, Holy Spirit. The Word of God is a part of the Holy... When you read the Word of God... You are opening up and diving into parts of the Trinity. Every religious journey begins roughly the same way. Why? Why does all of this matter? Why does all of this matter? I, I'm gonna. I want to do an illustration. Roughly, every relationship with religion begins the exact same way. Right. First step: revelation. Revelation. We have this personal epiphany, this revelation that we somehow fall short. Right? Every relationship with religion, not just every Christian, every relationship with religion, there's a moment of revelation in which we discover, oh my gosh, there is an, an there is a flaw within me. I am I fall short of whatever it happens to be. There's inadequacy, inadequacies in me that are so real, so apparent, so overwhelming that I become keenly aware of the fact. That I'm not enough right now. I don't know what's out there. I don't know what I don't know what the stars may say I don't know who created this place I don't know what God to believe in but what I am aware of at some point that I don't measure up to what I don't know yet I just know I don't measure up. I realized I have this revelation this revelation then produces a sense of shame and a sense of guilt and a sense of brokenness right All of a sudden now it's like, I'm searching to fix the brokenness. I'm searching to alleviate the shame because I've come to a revelation. Now I'll search anywhere. I'll search in Gandhi. I'll search in Islam. I'll search. They'll do anything they can. Scientology. I mean, it doesn't matter how nuts it is. They're going to search for it. It could be anything. But they're going to look and look and look. Why? To figure out how to fix what they discovered about themselves. That they fall short. Right Now we know that the word of God says we all fall short. We all fall short. But that's where it begins, right? And, and what happens is, is all of a sudden now we're, we become equipped for this journey that we're on. We discover that we fall short and now we decided we're going to take a journey. We're going to try and discover how to fix what I've discovered. How do I remedy? How do I, How do I take care of what I now realize about myself? That there's a sense of shame and guilt. Now that sense of shame and guilt is heavy. It's a burden. It's a burden, and I carry it everywhere with me because when I discover what I think is the answer, I want to give to that my shame and my guilt, right? Whether it's in 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 self-realization, whether I decide I'm going to climb to the top of, of and go, go to some monastery in which they're going to teach me how to 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 float. I don't. I, it doesn't make a difference. I'm going to do whatever it takes, climb to the ends of the earth to figure out how it is that I can take care of this. Now, there's two responses to this revelation. Okay, the result of revelation is fear almost every time Fear I don't know what's out there But if there's something out there, it's not gonna be happy with me Now I must do something about that now there are two responses to that fear either you begin reaching and searching for salvation Or you begin running from reality These are the two responses. You can look anywhere in society, you see them. See them in kids, you see them in peers, you see them in workers, you might even see it in yourself. But there's two things that take place. You come to this revelation and you realize, I am not enough, right? I don't know much, but I've seen some pretty wonderful things. And if those wonderful things exist in this broken world, then there's something much more wonderful out there. And if that's wonderful and I am not wonderful, then I fall short. And that revelation produces so much shame and guilt upon me that I begin to set out on a journey to f- discover how do I unburden myself from this guilt and shame and I start searching for salvation or running from reality. And as However you respond to that fear produces number three. Either we turn to works, now all of a sudden I'm searching for salvation. It doesn't matter what religion it is, you guys. Either we turn to works, all of a sudden now, I gotta do, I've gotta do. got to figure out, I'm going to do these things. So I'm going to come to this text, and I'm going to find in this text the things that teach me on how I can unburden myself from the sin and from the shame and from the guilt and from the brokenness, and I start working towards discovering how I can do that, whether it's in Islam, whether it's in Mormonism, whether it's Jehovah. It doesn't make a difference what religion. It could be Buddhism, it could be Hinduism. Every single one of them produces a text that tells us how we find salvation. Okay? That's religion. So in this process, we find the fear drives us. And here we have this burden, and we're carrying this burden of guilt and shame. And now fear. Right? Now fear. And when we turn to works, we start working, we start working, we start working and trying to find it. But here's what happens. If we're successful at our works our works produce some type of success, even in our own eyes, it produces pain. Or, I'm sorry, it produces pride. God does not lift up the pride. He puts down the pride, lifts up the humble. If we are successful in our works, if we feel in our own eyes that somehow we have reached a height of piety, in which we are better than everybody else, or at least those that we know, it produces a sense of pride in us. If we fail at our works, it produces a sense of condemnation. Now all of a sudden the burden's even greater, right? And we have this burden of condemnation, which is not of God. But if our response to the fear and our pursuit of salvation leads us to Christ, not in works, but in relationship, that changes everything. If step three isn't my work towards salvation, if step three is to Christ, if I develop this relationship, With Christ. It changes all of the dynamics. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Verse 14, it says this, And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten son, the father. Right? My poor son has to play this part for me. This morning, the word became flesh. This is probably the most important verse in all the Bible. Because let me explain something to you. Religion is coming to this. It's coming to this text. It's coming to a box that we've created in which we fill it with goodies that the Word of God tells us are there. And we go to it when we need it. We go to it when we're searching for it. We go to it, and we've created the system of traditions, the system of religion, in which this is our box. Right? The Bible says the Word of God is alive. It doesn't say that the word of God is a text. It says that it's alive and in the person you hold it. In the person. When we go to Jesus, the word made flesh. He takes our burden. Only Jesus can do that. Religion can't do that. The text cannot remove. The revelation of knowledge and wisdom that you derive from a text will not remove a burden. Only Jesus in the flesh can remove that burden. Only Jesus, God made man. That's the word. The word and Jesus are the same, right? Why does it matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Because when you come to a religious thing, when you say, I'm coming to the word, you go to it, you open it, like like a Google search. This is what I need. When you realize the truth that you're searching for is in him, In the flesh you have to go and talk to him and you have to get answers from him and not like we do with Siri okay we don't walk up and go Jesus I need a parking spot close to the grocery store right that's what we do like Jesus I need a I need a raise or promotion truthfully I just need not to sit next to this person that I'm sitting next to in the office we treat Jesus like Siri. We're like, we open up the Bible as if we're pushing the button. Like open up the Bible like, Jesus, I need this, right? And sometimes we feel like Jesus responds like Siri, but here's the thing. Like that mountain, God's saying, "Look, you put a box around Jesus. You can't. He goes with you everywhere you go in the flesh. The word of God became flesh. Why? So that we could walk with him as we walked with him once before." In the garden, they walked in the midst of the garden during the cool of the day. In Genesis 32, it says this, that God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to a friend face to face. That's what the word of God says. Moses spoke to God as a man speaks to a friend face to face. And when you realize that the word of God came in the flesh, then you go to the word going as if you're going to a person. Then guess what? You ask a question and you let him answer. You don't, it's not serious. You don't go, it's not a Google search. You know what Google search does? You put it in and they give you options. Jesus in the flesh doesn't give you options. It's not like you go, I'm really struggling with my son. What what options do you got for me, Jesus? Right? And Jesus got, and we look at it and we go, well, we've got this verse and then we've got this verse and then we've got this verse. What feels good to you, Dan? All right this one's at the top of the list, so that must get used the most. I think I'm going to go with that one. Instead, there's this personal relationship with Jesus in which there's a realness, in which we, we develop a relationship in which I talk to him and he talks to me. And just as you would have a relationship with someone in the flesh, you would have to have the same relationship with the Word. That's the Word. The Word became flesh. When we practice the idea of capturing the word of God in the sense that they tried to capture them on top of the mountain, all we do is reinsert religion into what was meant to be a relationship. We reinsert the idea. And worse than that, worse than, worse than that, it's, it's, it's the church, the bride. So we, we have to move beyond this. When we allow the traditions of man to continue, Gabby represents the church, which is the bride. Sometimes we don't even come to the word. Sometimes our relationship with God consists of us going to the church. See, all these things right here say faith, salvation, grace, forgiveness, and we want those things. So we go to church for those things. When something's going on, we ask the church to pray. We don't pray. We don't say, join me in prayer. We set it out there. Why? Because it worth how many degrees of separation? Because now we think the church. Is this buffer rather than realizing we're supposed to be the church this is the position we're supposed to be in when we turn we turn to jesus right not the church and some people spend their entire christian lives this is it this is as close as they get to this right because they think the church has all of the answers they think church is doing all of those things the church is not meant you're meant to be the church You're meant to realize this is your role to play. This is your hand to hold. Right? You're not to hold the church's hand. You're to hold his hands. And when you have questions, you're to ask him and listen for his answers. And when you approach the word of God, you are approaching Jesus in the flesh. When it speaks, it's him speaking. Don't hit resend. Don't rephrase your question. Don't say, these aren't the options I was looking for. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him because that's what you're doing when you open up the Word of God. You're opening up to Jesus. The Word became flesh, the divine, the omnipotent, the omniscience, the light, an unapproachable light. Right? I When you look at the poetry within Scripture and the way it describes who the Word of God is as it correlates to Jesus, the Son of Man, you have the most powerful thing you could ever hope to have sitting on your nightstand every single day of your life. How many times have you even dared open it? Or are you still just coming to church? With so many degrees of separation. Let me tell you guys, this is Religion. It's the idea that if I need something, I just go inside and I get it. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus were here. He would push those things over like he flipped the tables in the temple. He didn't die to build more walls and he didn't die to create more traditions. He died so he could hear your voice on his ears. He died so that you would turn to him, not to his bride. That you would become his bride. He died so that you guys could have conversations well into the night and early in the morning so that you can confess, so that you could seek help, so that you could hear the truth, the revelation that he has for you, the guidance and the purpose that he has designed you for must come from him. When somebody gets up and say it's in the word, what they're saying is it is in Jesus. He himself alone. Not in religion. Don't let the don't let the absolute depth, sheer magnitude of the power of God's word, convince you into creating it as a text. It is alive. It speaks. Trust it. The words that Jesus says, He says. They have in those words healing and power. We can't treat it like Siri. We can't treat it like a search. We can't go, I came. God spoke to me through His Word. I heard it as clear as day. I'm going to close. About a month ago, I was facing a really, really difficult decision, and I was like, "I got to make this. I got to do something. I've got to." And I, and I was, I was nervous. I was worried about this decision. It was a tough decision. My, I couldn't discern the difference between my flesh and my spirit, and I wrestled with it and I prayed about it and. I, and one night I prayed, God, tomorrow I'm making that decision. I want my decision to be orchestrated by your word, right? And I got up in the morning, I opened up the word, and the first sentence that I read that for that morning was, listen to your father. And I was already planning on talking to him that day. So I'd called him. We'd been talking about it. And I said, so what do you think? he said everything I didn't want him to. I got off the phone and I went, God, it, it, I'm, I'm being super sincere. Say, said, God, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful. This is not what I want to do, but I have so much peace and confidence that it's you doing it. Because your word, you spoke to me. I could have turned the page. I could have could have said, I don't like that verse. I, I could have said I, I was the wrong, the wrong page. It was the wrong. I could have done another search. But Jesus spoke to me. Right? I, I know it's Jay, but just for symbolic reasons. I'm gonna ask the worship team to lead us in a song. And as they do, I want to challenge you. Instead of letting the church bring it to you. Did you come grab that communion? Couldn't imagine what it would have been like on the night to have Jesus be the one that broke the bread. To literally receive it from his hands. Right? To literally take the cup from his hands. The reality is this. You know, when it's Jesus that we turn to after we discover the fear of not being enough he produces faith in us. He removes the burden, nothing else can. He produces faith in us that produces works. That's that's the truth. All of a sudden now, when my faith is in Christ, I become what I couldn't become apart from Christ. I begin to accomplish things I couldn't do without Jesus, not just without Jesus at my side, without Jesus in my heart, without recognizing that He came in the flesh. I don't want to sign up for another religion. I don't want it to be a hobby. I don't want it to be a problem-solving relationship with religion that I have in which I come to church because it's going to be the remedy for my circumstances. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus' death on the cross is gruesome and personal for a reason. It, it, It goes into the depths for a reason. Jesus did something. That's why the Bible says he calls you by name. That's why he says he knows the number of hairs are upon your head. It's why he says he knows the number of your days. It's not why he says, I saved humanity. It's not. It's why Jesus comes and he says, this is what it's all about. Because I came in the flesh, the word, the very thing that set all of this into motion became flesh. Then spread his arms out, took nails in his hands and feet, sword in his side. Why? So that he might offer salvation to the very thing he loves so much, which is us. Which is us? Jesus didn't die to create another religion. He died to have a relationship. He died so that he might hear the very needs, hopes, dreams, and fears that you live with every single day of your life. He doesn't want to be the genie in a bottle. He wants to be the one that walks with you in the cool of the day. That's what he wants. And I'm telling you, there is nothing in all the world that compares to that relationship. There is no amount of wealth, amount of hope, or type of dream that could be better than the relationship that Jesus afforded us on that cross. I think in an unbelievable, stunning way, his hand is always extended. Not once, not twice, but until you can't reach back will reach towards you this morning when we take communion don't take it because you're supposed to take it because it's a tradition don't take it because that's what you did in Catholic Church this morning my challenge is this take it recognizing that the word became flesh and that that flesh was beaten broken and bruised take it recognizing that that same flesh is the word that speaks endlessly of you. That speaks of his hopes. Speaks of his power. Speaks of his reconciliation. His restoration and his redemption over you. The plans that God has for each and every one of us are beyond our ability to even hope and think. That's what the Bible. Hope and think. I've got a radical Imagination. To think that God's plans for me are even better than my wildest imagination always gives me pause. To think that God died, loves me so much to offer me these things. To say, I can make you a good man. I can teach you to love. I can teach you to forgive. I can teach you to move on. I can help you with courage. I can help you with healing. I can help you with deliverance. Loved us enough to offer those things is one thing, but to think that in order to offer us those things, he had to suffer and die is a whole nother thing. And this morning, when you grab the bread and you take the cup, give pause. Give pause. Thank God. All the fullness of God was in that flesh. For the stars. For the foundations of the earth, God existed. The word was there. That word became that flesh. There is no greater gesture of love. If you question your value and importance, think of that. If you wonder if you're worthy, if you wonder if you matter, if you wonder if there's a plan for your life, think. The word that existed and created, all that is, became flesh. Flesh to be torn and broken and die for you, for me. There's nothing greater than that. Nothing. All else pales. We wonder why he lifted the name of Jesus high above everything else. It's because of that. That a grunt from the author of all things would have rendered everybody within proximity of that cross totally helpless. A grunt, and yet he kept it in. Not so that you would find religion, but so that you would find Jesus. It's far greater. I want to pray. As they lead us in this song, I invite you come, partake of his bread, partake of the cup. You just take it and then you can sing and stand and then we'll all take together. Father God, I thank you this morning. I thank you, God, that you didn't die to offer me religion or a text. I thank you, God, that you didn't die to offer me a roadmap that I might choose to follow someday. But that, God, the word became flesh and that you died and what you have left me is yourself alive and active A word that chases me down. A word that pursues me to the ends of the earth. A word that haunts me in my sleep. That finds me in my darkness. A word that pierces my heart. And that that word offers me hope. It offers me salvation like nothing else can. And when I partake of that word, when I embrace it, and when I consume it and let it become a part of me, it changes me, God. And I find that I am complete in you. This morning, God, let us not move on with religion, but let us, Lord Jesus, find a quiet moment in which it's just me and you. Even if it's brief. Even if it's but a moment, God, it's better than a thousand elsewhere. Capture our hearts and our attention this morning as we celebrate what you did on that cross. As we acknowledge and declare by taking communion that we will follow you anywhere you go, hand in hand, arm in arm, that we would learn to be face-to-face as a friend in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope it blessed and encouraged you. Join us live on Sunday or at our Midweek Connect small group meetings in North Phoenix, Arizona.